Galatians 1, uh, 6 through 10. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As, as we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. <clears throat> I am now trying to win the approval. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or God? Or God, or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, welcome everyone. I missed you all last week. I hope that you had a wonderful time meeting Pastor Luke from Godspeed. Um, I had a great time. Uh, preaching there and meeting uh, more of his congregation, and it's just great to be able to um, serve and know um, other other brothers and sisters in Christ that are here preaching Christ with us. And um, that was sort of um, why we did that. I hope that um, we can be, we can really appreciate um, the universal aspect of the body of Christ um, that we call these brothers and sisters in Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, I do want to open in prayer. Would you just uh, join me, please? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word as it was read. I thank you, God, that um, you've given us this gospel. Let us be astonished, Lord, by the gospel, and let us be astonished should we change it. God, I pray, Lord, that you would bless each person here. God bless our friend Tony and his desire to, um, just his vision to see people who are grieving and suffering um, have a resource of encouragement. I pray, Lord, that you would bless that endeavor. I pray that you'd be with him. God, thank you, Lord, again for your word as we consider its message. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. We're in a sermon series um, that we're calling The Gospel Matters because this New Testament letter is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I feel like this might be a little bit loud. I'm hearing some humming up here, so maybe we can just lower it a little bit. You guys can all hear me? Okay, with it being a little bit lower? Okay, there we go. I'm just hearing boom. Boom. Right, so the next step is winding hissing sounds after that boom. That's what comes next. So, <laughs> so um, yeah. But we are in this uh, passage of uh, Galatians chapters, chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, or excuse me, verses 6 through 10. And it gives us this word astonishing. I want to I talk about this word for a moment with you. Matthew chapter 8, verse 10, it says this. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. You might know the context of that verse. Um, Jesus had just discovered a person who just trusted him completely to heal and to save. It was a kind of faith that Jesus had not seen before prior to this man. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed, it says. And then again in Matthew chapter 15, um, Jesus is amazed in 8. Now the people, the people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. Like we would be amazed if such a miracle were to happen in this room today. 
if a crippled man were to walk in that we knew to be cri crippled, it wasn't some charlatan's trick, right? But a, a person we knew to be crippled suddenly got up and walked. We would be shocked, amazed, astounded. Luke chapter 2, the child's father and mo mother, who is this about? Mary and Joseph. The child's father and mother marveled at what, said, at what was said about him. They were amazed. This word that they're using and repeating that's here in Galatians chapter 1 can be translated as amazed, astonished, marveled, like the comic, right? In the original language, it means to be extraordinarily impressed, right? I wonder how many people will be marveled by this sermon at the end. <laughs> you can let me know at the end. I don't know that it'll be that good, but... I remember the first time I met my wife, there was some astonishment in me. The first time I met her, it was at church. She was sitting with her parents in one of the seats of the church that I grew up in, and I noticed her. She was new. I had never seen her before, and gosh, she was beautiful. Her, pre her presence just sort of arrested my attention, and I was like, I gotta, get, I gotta get to meet her, right, immediately. What's your name, right? I was amazed. So that the word can mean that we saw that we saw Jesus was amazed like in a positive sense, right? But we also can be amazed in a darker sense. We can be astonished not just by beauty or by uh, or miraculous power, but we also can be astonished by grim death and tragedy. Isn't that true? There's a darker side to it in our world. Weren't we equally astonished perhaps in a negative way when those planes collided? into the Twin Towers some 20 years ago. I think most of the streets were just sort of quiet in the silent shock. This word sort of captures that corporate sense of astonishment that we all experienced together if you were old enough to live through that. So it's a strong word. It's a forceful word. It's got a lot of passion behind it, right? So here we see it in Galatians chapter 1. And Paul is equally shocked, astonished, that the local church would abandon the gospel of Jesus Christ, would consider its message to be of little importance so that they would change it into anything that they might want to. Paul was shocked. This shock was not over the beauty of a woman or even a civil tragedy. The church had perverted the gospel. The church had decided that it didn't really matter what people believed about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's just be nice. Let's get along. And Paul was shocked. It was just as tragic to him. And the letter to the Galatians is the response to what should be shocking in any church the shocking claim that the gospel is not the gospel of Jesus, but the gospel of me. Because that's what was going on here. We'll get to that in a moment. Friends, the gospel is a wonder. And if you're maybe kind of new to Christianity, and I'm saying this word gospel a lot, and you're like, what the heck are you talking about? Is that a kind of music? Right? I hope that by the end you'll understand what we mean by the gospel. It simply means good news. The good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel is a wonder. The gospel, when we understand what it is, should shock us in that good way. 
It should astonish and amaze our senses. And likewise, because we've seen its beauty, it should, it should, be, just, it should be just as shocking if we start to accept a church that, that, that calls it something else. So as a bit of review, let me remind you about this good news of Jesus Christ. We learned about it a couple of weeks ago in verses 3 through 4. And by the way, all of Galatians is Paul trying to explain well what the gospel is and why it matters. In verses 3 through 4, there's a very simple snapshot of it that he'll unpack later that we'll get to in some weeks to come. But he says this in verse 3 through 4. The Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now that says a lot. It says first that we're helpless and lost. We're broken. This world is broken and we're broken. And it tells us why. Because of sin against God. Our greatest problem isn't that we're married or we don't have lots of money or that there are some problems in our lives. Those are indeed problems and they matter, but our greatest problem, the dysfunction that we experience in this world and in us, is not because of those things. It is because we're separate from God for sin. Mm -hmm. And the solution to your sort of confusion about who you are and why you, why you occupy, occupy space in this world is not resolved by great accomplishments. It's resolved by being reconciled to God through Christ. Yeah. You see? This is what we do. I'll give you an example. What if I, I've, I've been using this example this week with other people, so if I told it to you, you guys, um, you guys got one of these, right? Yeah. What is this? This is the iPhone 6 because I'm cheap and I don't want to spend $1,000 on a 12. <laughs> but this is an iPhone 6. Um, what, if I, what if someone handed this to, to me and, they, and I'd never seen one before? I'm just from some other planet, right? And they said, I want to give you something and I want to show you what it does. Um, so, and they open up the calculator app. And they say, look at what this thing does. Isn't this cool? You can do arithmetic, nine times nine. You can do, you can figure out the tip at a restaurant. Isn't that awesome? And I, and I say, oh, thank you for this calculator. And I put it in my pocket and I walk away. Now, is this a calculator? No. Yes and no. It, it can calculate. It can do that. It's one of its functions. It's also a calendar. It's also a phone. It's also, it, it does a lot of things. But essentially, it's not just a calculator. You see, friends, Jesus says in John chapter 1 that we are in darkness. And because we're in darkness, we don't know who we are. We're trying to figure it out. So this is what we do. We take our lives and we say, oh, I know how to fix all the confusion. I'm, um, I know what's wrong with me. I'm a calculator. And I didn't realize it before. And then some years go by and you realize, like, oh, that doesn't work. You know, I'm, I'm not as happy as I thought that would make me. So let me try this. Maybe I'm a GPS. <laughs> right? You, you see, you're taking things that God put in you and made true about you, but they're not who you are, essentially. They're just things that are true about you. That's why they can't satisfy you. If you worship them and you say, God made me to be married, good luck with that. Get married. See how that works. It won't fulfill you. It won't satisfy you until you realize that God made you to have a relationship with him, and he just made you able to do things like get married. and Right? You can... Does that make sense? The gospel tells us then that the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory, to reconcile us with him. So we're helpless and lost. Jesus gave himself for our sins 
so that the Father could approve of that work of Christ, his death on the cross and resurrection. That was the payment for sin. The Father approves it and makes us right with him through it. You see? And now we have that relationship that we were lost. So Jesus plus nothing. See, I can't add to it. I can't say that I'm helping God save me. Because when I do that, I'm adding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm saying that there's something that I can fix. In our verses, Paul begins to rebuke the church. And he expounds on three different categories. Desertion, perversion, and condemnation. We're going to talk about these three things. Okay? Desertion, perversion, and condemnation. Now, before I, I start to um, talk about these, I want to first acknowledge um, the problem that we might have with the tone. This is, these are some tough words, right? These aren't, these aren't really kind of nice, cordial, I'm okay, you're okay, let's all get along kind of words. He's mad. Paul is mad. Paul is issuing a sharp rebuke. And we might, that might offend sort of like our postmodern sensibilities. Right? Like, how dare you suggest that I'm doing something wrong and that I need to fix something? <laughs> right? Like, but I would just simply respond to that by quoting Proverbs chapter 27, verses 5 through 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Right? Certain circumstances call for louder responses. Isn't that true? If my kids, if I see like a, like a fistful of dirty socks in my kids' hands, and I see they're about to throw it. And I say, hey, don't you dare! How dare you? This is my house, not yours. You might think I'm kind of a brute, right? But let's say they're sprinting toward a busy road, and I simply warn them with a whisper from afar, hey, watch out, guys. <laughs> I'm not just a brute now. I might be the devil himself. Isn't that true? Watch out, I'd say. Don't go in that direction. Friends, we are separate from God. The brokenness of this world is because of that separation. And Christ is the remedy. Now, I know that that might offend us. We live in a world that that offends us. But when we actually see the beauty behind it, oh, we will not be astonished in a horrible way, but in a wonderful way. <clears throat> Paul's rebuke is harsh because his love is great. He loves these people, and he wants them to know life, the life that Christ can give. He says, you have deserted the gospel. I am astonished, verse 6, that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. They were in the process of deserting the gospel of Jesus. The process of deserting. There seems to be sort of like a hint here that they hadn't really settled on was this true or not. You see, there was this group of people that came in and said, the way that you're made right with God is through circumcision. Not just Jesus, but also through circumcision. We might try to understand this different. That's kind of foreign to us. Maybe if I were to tell you the, may, the way that you're made right with God is through Jesus, but also through baptism, right? Or how about throw some money in our offering? That's a convenient one, right? You know, so you're saved through Jesus plus this, plus something, right? Add to it. That's what they were doing. But they were considered, they hadn't settled on it. They were in the, the verb there is sort of like this progressive verb. 
so quickly deserting. They were, they were thinking about it, right? So they hadn't settled yet for this different gospel. They were simply entertaining a question of these so-called Christians that presented it to them. It was almost like the first sinner's mistake. You remember Adam and Eve. The enemy, that snake, met them in the garden, and he hooked them with a question. Remember that? Hath God said, hath he said you shall not eat of this tree, of the knowledge of good and evil? And they reply, yes, indeed. And that if we do, we will surely die. And then Satan's reply was, you, you will not die. You see, he's offering a proposition to the, our first parents that God is a liar. That what he says actually isn't the complete truth. And Paul was challenging these, these folks in this early church to remember that from God comes truth. And that we simply respond to that truth in faith. We don't change it, we don't add to it or take away from it. He is the author of life and death. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So the enemy hooked them both by a question, and they considered that question. They considered whether or not God was true or honest or good. Perhaps he was evil. Perhaps he was a liar. They didn't object to Satan's question. They let it roll around. They thought about it. And the Galatian church did exactly the same thing. Hath God said that our greatest need is to be reconciled to God? Hath God said that by faith in Jesus Christ we won't go through eternal death but enter into eternal life with our sins forgiven? Hath God said that that is all accomplished by the blood of Jesus Christ alone? Now let me add something to that to you. Let me add maybe some prayers that you should pray or some mountain that you should climb so that you can complete the work of Christ that he began. We made that analogy a couple of weeks ago. You know, Jesus runs the ball to the 10-yard line, but we got to go the rest of the way. I'm sorry, but this is actually a pretty good analogy because if, if you put me on the 10-yard line in a professional football team and said run 10 yards... I couldn't run an inch. Isn't that true? Not me, anyway. Right? If anything, I might die. <laughs> I, they push me back 30 yards. They'd take the ball from me, and I'd be in the hospital. I can't go one foot. You see, friends, God is so immensely holy and good that I cannot be in his presence. I cannot add to my salvation. It is either all of grace or it is all of me. And if it's all of me, I'm hopeless and doomed. See? So the Galatians here entertained this question about whether or not they could add to their own salvation, that they could somehow complete it. We might um, make two suggestions about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can reject the existence of God altogether. We can say God doesn't exist, and because God doesn't exist, there is no such thing as sin. I'm not separated from anyone or anything, and if there's a problem in, in this world, it's because we all think that maybe there's something wrong with us. Right? That's sort of like postmodernism. So we can, we can approach the gospel like that, that we reject the existence of God, we reject the, the nature of sin in the world, or we can believe that we are there is a God and we are separated from him, but we can do something about it. It's on us to fix it. And that's religion. 
In either case, though, we need no savior outside of ourselves. Isn't that true? So secular humanism doesn't need a savior, savior, but neither does religion. See, they have something in common. Either we don't need a savior at all, or we are the savior. Unless the gospel is true, then Jesus is the savior. Right? To, to suggest that we need only save ourselves or that we never needed saving to begin with, according to Paul, is a desertion of the gospel. Their salvation was in danger of becoming a self-salvation, self-centered. But he says, to God be the glory for the grace that he bestowed upon us. Churches have been in danger of this desertion in many, many different forms. The evangelical church can sometimes put an unhealthy emphasis on, on the need to turn from sin if you're going to be saved. Now, I talk about that sometimes, but if we're not careful, if we don't think that through, we might think that I'm saying that it's your turning from sin that's saving you, which is not what I'm saying. What I am saying is this. When God saves us, he turns us from sin. The fruit, so in other words, we cannot confuse the fruit with the root. It is not my grief over sin, my crying over it, my determination to not do it anymore that saves us. Um, that is the fruit of salvation. That is the means by which we judge whether or not we are in Christ. You see? But we are saved by the absolute unmerited favor, the gracious gift of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. See? So that's one mistake a church can make. How about this? Another, another mistake churches can make is maybe what we could call the, the liberal mistake. So in, in this mistake, they would suggest that it doesn't really matter what you believe at all. You can believe in just about anything. It's just as long as you're a pretty good person, right? So what you say of Jesus or accept his, his work at the cross or not doesn't really matter. That's another mistake. But there's a third mistake what we might call a fundament, the fundamentalist mistake. Fundamentalism tends to be intolerant of other sort of church assemblies because of the way they wear their hair, or maybe, maybe the women don't have their dresses long enough. Right? That's the fundamentalist mistake. So their, their intolerance of other dress or custom. No one drinks alcohol, and you can't go to the movies. Like, I'm sure you've heard of this. This is kind of a dying breed but it was 50 years ago very prevalent. Friends, these are all desertions from the true gospel of Jesus Christ, which calls us to freedom. These are desertions. But they're also, number two, perversions. We might, we might seem to think that these are sort, say, saying sort of the same thing, and they, kind, they are similar, but let me read to you. This different gospel, he says, in verses 6 through 7, is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So a perversion is a little bit more subtle than a complete abandonment. There's a little truth in there. The perversion of the gospel of salvation by grace alone through faith in the work of Christ alone in this church was subtle. It wasn't a complete denial of everything about Jesus. That would just be too obvious. Right? 
The people were throwing the church into confusion, like the text says, um, and they were likely claiming that they weren't rejecting Jesus, but they were completing maybe an unfinished gospel that they had heard. They subtracted, they took away nothing from it. They added to it, though. So they didn't deny that Jesus was the Son of God. They didn't deny that he was God in the flesh, what we believe about Christ. They didn't deny that he died on the cross and resurrected from the dead. These were all claims that they agreed with. But they were adding something to it. And this addition is what made it a different gospel. Did you know this, notice that word? Trying to prefer, um, uh, in verse 7, a different gospel. is really no gospel at all. This is what they were preaching, a different gospel. Now, in Greek, it's really interesting. Greek has a lot of nuances, but there are two different words for different in Greek. One is different of the same kind, and one is different of a different kind or another kind. Different of the same kind is a word um, spelled A-L-L-O-S, alas. Uh, different of a different kind is eteros. That's where we get the word heterosexual from. Right? So the... the um, the desire for the opposite, a different sex, you see? So there's different of the same kind, different of another kind. It's like if I were to ask you, would you, um, I was going to bring a, a refuge church pen, but if I said, could you get, could you get me another pen like this one? Right, you, would be, you would start thinking, if I had a refuge church pen, you'd just go get me another refuge church pen, another of the same kind, you see? But if I said, hey, can you give me a, another color of paint? You wouldn't go, if I had blue paint, you wouldn't go grab me more blue paint. You'd probably ask the question, what color, right? Because it's implied that I want a different color, not the same color, right? That's what's happening here. I am, you, are, you are proclaiming a different gospel. Not a different gospel of the same kind, but a different gospel altogether, completely different. You see? So there's this, this strong language that this desertion is a perversion. It's, it's, and it's why he says it's no gospel at all. It's completely different. It's not good news. See? Paul is saying that another gospel, other than the one that Jesus Christ alone reconciles us to God and that we contribute nothing, is not a gospel. It's a false one. A different gospel is a perverted gospel, a dead one, a lifeless one, a useless one, and it can save nobody. Without Jesus, we have no life. We cannot recover what we have lost. The different gospel, then, is a diversion, a desertion, a perversion, and finally, it's a condemnation. I know, I told you, this is heavy. This is heavy lifting. Paul says twice in verses 8 through 10, should anyone proclaim a different gospel... Let them be accursed. Let them be accursed. It's as if he's saying, you know, he says this twice. Did you notice that? Whoever believes in him is, oh, that's not the verse. But he says it. He says it twice in verses 8 through 10. Let them be accursed. And he says, oh, let me say it again. If you proclaim a different gospel, let them be accursed. He says it twice. It's as if he's saying, in case you didn't hear me the first time, let me, let me make sure that this sinks in. There is no salvation outside of the grace of Christ. Amen. We remain lost. And that's why he says, let them be accursed. Because we already, without Christ, we already are cursed. Mm -hmm. 
John chapter 3, verses 18, Jesus says the same exact thing. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but who does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Those are Jesus' words. Friends, Paul repeats this message here, that to pervert the gospel is to not believe in Christ and his salvation, to make ourselves savior and to remain condemned because we cannot save ourselves. Mm -hmm. These are Jesus' words. And it's interesting here, Paul is telling the church, you cannot tolerate a non-gospel. This is what the church is. If the gospel isn't present in the church, it is not the gospel. It is not a church of Jesus Christ. It is a church of me that might come in the name of Jesus Christ, but it is a non-name, right? What we just read. It's a non-gospel. The gospel is Jesus. So for us to reject the gospel of Christ is for us to not be Christian. So as Christians in the local church, our chief con concern is to protect and champion the gospel of Christ. And he even tells the church here, this is written to a church, it's not written to a pastor. He says, if I come back to you, even me, who, is, who, who I am an apostle, you need to accursed me. You need to, in other words, you need to reject it. You need to, from that point forward, say this is not Christianity. You see? So as Christians in the local church, this must be our chief concern, to praise God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, to fellowship with each other around the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to warn and caution each other when we're drifting from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not in a mean or belligerent or arrogant way, but a loving and compassionate way. See? The local church should never tolerate a different gospel. Now that's difficult to admit because I use the word tolerate, right? The only, it seems to me that the only real sin that our culture recognizes is intolerance, right? So I'm, aren't I kind of telling you to be a little bit intolerant? Be intolerant of a different gospel? Because I just said don't tolerate a different gospel. Come on, let's do the math, dude. You're saying that we need to be a little bit intolerant. Yeah, I am. I would be intolerant of a, a mom and dad that let their kid run through a street without any warning or caution. That is not acceptable. You see, friends, we're not doing this because we think that we're better or we're, we're somehow more holy than the rest of the world, but because of the love of Jesus Christ, the way in which we are restored to God is through Jesus. And for us to accept a different message is to condemn people. It's to leave them without the answer. And we should love people too much to do that. You see? So please don't misunderstand. I'm not calling for this kind of this arrogant intolerance, we're right, everyone else is wrong, right? This is about love. And friends, the one and only gospel message is actually the only one we can rightly call tolerant. So let's flip this on its ear before we think we're intolerant. If, let me explain. If Jesus' death wasn't necessary, 
and all we need to do is be relatively good, then there's no hope for bad people. We are very intolerant of evil people, aren't we? Because only good people go to heaven. But the gospel says, come to Christ, and it doesn't matter who you are. So which message is more tolerant? Matthew chapter 22, verse 10. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could, the, the, all the people that they could find, the bad as well as the good. <clears throat> and the wedding was filled with guests. Friends, if you can only come to the feast, that is to the kingdom of God, heaven, what we call heaven, by being good, then only good people can come. There's no hope for bad people. Oh, that is, that, <clears throat> that is more, or that is more intolerant than anything we could conjure. That's an exclusive gospel. That's not inclusive. That gospel shows partiality. It shows favoritism. And by the way, talk to an Indian about this. What's more inclusive or exclusive? Talk to a Hindu. When they're stuck in this caste system because they were evil in a past life and they're doomed in the present and no one will help them because they deserve it. Right? What gospel is more freeing than the one that says it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from or what you've done, come to Christ and you'll receive his forgiveness. You see? It seems intolerant because our, our minds have been westernized. To save ourselves is not good news. It's a heavy burden that none of us can bear. The good news, the gospel of love, is that Jesus did it for us. And we simply need to come to him and receive that gift. How astonishing is that gospel? The gospel of grace, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, I said before when we started, I know that this is kind of heavy stuff. This is heavy lifting. And it might be a lot to take in. You might be left with a sense of doom after reading a passage like this in Galatians, all this cursing and all this cursing language. But the gospel is good news. If we are not saved only by the work of Christ, we would remain under the burden of saving ourselves, being good enough, being pretty enough, having enough sex appeal, smart enough, right? There's no love or freedom in that. To be accepted simply because the one that loves you accepts you based on the fact that he loves you and not based on how you look or how you perform? That's the gospel. Isn't that great? The true gospel is simple. Jesus is the hero. We're not. He rescues us. We don't rescue ourselves. We can do nothing about it. And friends, that's real love. When we have a God that loves us in spite of us and not because we look good, that's love, isn't it? I'm reminded a little bit of Queen Esther in the Old Testament. You guys heard of this story before? In the Old Testament, there was, there was this, this king. He was, he was not kind of a bully. He was the epitome of bullies. He wanted his wife to come and dance for her, um, some suggest naked, um, in front of his buddies. And she says, no, I'm not doing that, right? And he goes, okay, off with your head. Kills her. So he says, you know what? You know, I miss having a woman around. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a ball. It was kind of like a weird Cinderella, right? <laughs> I'm going to throw a ball, and I'm going to get all the most beautiful women in this, in, around us to come, and I'm going to pick the one I want. 
right? This is the kind of king, right? And, and Queen, Queen Esther, who is a Jewish person, I'm not going to go into the whole story, that's not the point. Queen Esther comes in, and they have a beauty pageant of sorts. All the most beautiful women gather, and they prepare themselves to be the most visually stunning as possible. The most astonishing woman gets to be queen. I think if, I were, if it were me, I would have made myself look a little ugly. This guy's going to kill me eventually. But that's not what they did. So the, most, the most astonishing woman gets to be queen. The most beautiful woman, the one that turns his head. You see, that's the one that wins. And that's religion. That's a gospel, not of Christ, but of this world. It says, be good enough, be clean enough, keep your act together, and maybe God will love you. See? But God says, no. That's a fool's errand. That's a, that's a heavy burden. I love you in spite of you, and I'm going to send my son Jesus to die for all your mistakes so that you don't have to die for them, and I'm going to rescue you. That's love. What is most astonishing about the gospel is that our most astonishing God rescues least astonishing people as a gift of his unmerited favor. He invites sinners to the banquet. Come and feast. Let's pray. God, I pray, Lord, that we would be astonished by the grace of Jesus Christ. That we wouldn't get hung up on the, the heavy language of this. That we would simply be brought to our knees in repentance and faith in awe of the fact, astonished that you would love us. Friends, Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago, the Son of God, God in the flesh. God became man, died in your place to satisfy the just demands of the law, the curse of the law that we all know we carry. That death that we face was put on him so that we could have eternal life, reconciliation with our good God. You are so much more than a calculator app. You are made in the image of God to love and be one with him forever. Oh friend, would you take this time right now, don't let another minute go by, and in the silence of your own heart, confess to God this moment, save me. I am a sinner, and I need the light and life that comes only through Christ. Oh, and friend, if you've done that, I would love to talk to you. Talk to somebody about it so that we can celebrate what Jesus has done for you and for us. God, we love you, and we ask you now that you bless us as we turn now to our communion service. In Jesus' name, amen.